Hello and welcome to A Little Perspective with Will Sigmund. Today I am joined by two special guests. Um, instead of a, 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 a me interviewing two people, I'm going to have a co-host this episode, my friend and co-worker Stacia Bush. Hey Stacia. Hey Will. And we have with us today uh, Dr. Maurice Godwin. Thank you for joining us today. We are both Big fans of yours and fellow North Carolinians as well. We're, we're so glad to have you on the show. I know you, man, your list goes on and on about your credentials, so I don't even know where to necessarily start. Um, but I know that you have uh, a special particular background in criminal and investigative forensic investigation, etc. Uh, can you give us a little bit of, like, in a nutshell, your background and your specialties? Yes, yeah, so I'm a, in the mid 80s, I was a police officer in up in Oxford, North Carolina, small town north of Raleigh. I was there for four years. And then I got out of the, the law enforcement business and moved to Nashville, Tennessee. And I was in Nashville for seven years, but I went back to school. I had an associate's degree in, in criminal justice when I went to Nashville. So after some years there, I, I went back to school and got my bachelor's degree in behavioral science. And really that's where it started. Uh, then I got a scholarship to Indiana State University for a master's program. And then I got an international scholarship to go to University of Liverpool in England to study investigative psychology. And so that's, in a nutshell, that's how I got to where I'm at now. But it, it started, this whole thing with me and crime business and stuff started when I was about 14 years old, when I read Helter Skelter, Vince Bolioski's book about the Manson's crimes. And from that day forward, I know I, I've read the book three or four times. From that day forward in the eighth or ninth grade, I was hooked on anything to do with criminalistics or forensics or the courtroom. Wow, that's awesome. And you have done a lot in your time recently in the last decade or so. I know uh, Stacia and I both became aware of you through Payne Lindsay's podcast, Up and Vanished. And I actually got to meet you. I don't know if you remember meeting me when you came to Durham and you guys were on tour. That was fun. Yeah, I, I remember you. We, we had a successful tour. Yeah, we did 11 dates in 10 days. Oh, we traveled all over Los Angeles, San Francisco. It was and it was packed full. Little old case out of Georgia like that drew over a thousand people in in Los Angeles. That's amazing. It's amazing what the internet and podcast and just community can do these days. You know, we don't want to focus necessarily so much on on that. We want to focus more on you and Stacia. I think you are going to kick yeah. us off here with the first question. Yeah, I, I guess he kind of answered it a little bit, but. Maybe moving on to that next question. Thank you again, Dr. Godwin, for talking with us. I'm super, super excited to just speak with somebody that is professionally in or is in a profession that I just find so interesting. You told us your background, but what I'm really wanting to know is how did you take reading that book when you were younger and really being interested in this and then studying it and deciding this is what I want to do? Well, it was the it was the, the thrill of the unknown, really, about uh, the Tate murders 
in that book, Sharon Tate and her family and the LaBianchi family and, and the way in which Los Angeles Police Department stuff went throughout and investigated the crime scenes, you know, writing in blood that was on the wall where it was it was saying pigs for police and stuff like that. All that got me interested in this field. Of course, back then, this field wasn't anything, really. It was just strictly for law enforcement people, and the general public really didn't know a lot about it compared to nowadays where everything you turn on TV is forensic-related. You cut on the TV nowadays, you see about crime, forensics, or something to do with that, or serial murder. But back when I was young, 14, 15, I didn't have that, that type of environment. So, But I did became enthralled in about the way in which the crime scenes were being handled back then during the, the Bulioski's book. i tell you what that led to. That led a big-time reading of true detective magazines. They don't have them nowadays, but you used to buy them all the time in your corner market. I love that. Will, how have we never looked into getting some like old archived magazines like this? You know, so I bought all the true detective magazines that I could find. Anne Rule, the famous writer, she's dead now, but she wrote under a pseudonym as a male. She wrote articles and everything for uh, true crime magazines and stuff. I mean, you would hear about a serial rapist that attacked five elderly women in Florida would be one of the stories in the magazine. And so that's what got it started for me. I love that. It's like you were a true crime podcast junkie before we had the podcast. Oh, absolutely. You have to be a true crime junkie to be in. Of course, I'm not now, per se, because sometimes it gets old, especially if when you're working cases. I can imagine so, yeah. So one of the questions I had for you is kind of leading into what you were just talking about. These days, from either a personal or for professional aspect, what do you do to keep up with investigative developments, forensic and tech developments, and things like that? Reading and seminars, conferences. They have yearly conferences that you can go to, and also they have seminars that you can go to. Then reading certain particular magazines, and also conversing with people in my field. What's like some of the coolest advancements you've seen in like the last decade? MVAC, V-A-C, is where they, it's a special vacuum cleaner that they used to vacuum off clothing and they're looking for touch DNA. And so that like case I'm working on now where the, the guy's trousers were grabbed and pulled downward. Where the, the suspect grabbed the trousers and pulled down, then you would want to use the MVAC along the areas along the waistline and the belt of where he grabbed it. Then you would want to swab the area and see if you got any skin cells. That's what touch DNA looks at, are the skin cells that you leave off your fingers. And then you from those, you can get DNA. That is amazing. Wow, that's, that's pretty amazing. Leading from that other question, how has the last year in the pandemic affected some of the ways that you normally get your information? Because I'm imagining that a lot of things were canceled and do you feel kind of like more secluded in a bubble these days? Yeah, of course, crime continues. And so I've been able to pick up a couple of cases, uh, but everything was uh, stalemate. Everything just stands still for the last past year. The podcast business didn't, that continued because the, the coattail of Tara Grinstead has helped pain go a long ways. Yeah, I've I've listened to the Dead and Gone uh, one that he did, and that was very interesting as well. But all that came from the coattails of Tara Grinstead. Yeah. I actually have a friend of mine who worked with me at the Apple store. We both work at Apple Retail, 
he was from Osoa, and his parents still lived there. It was bizarre talking to him just because it was such a small town, and to have his uh, family still be there and to have somebody I knew in such a small place in Georgia was kind of weird, but he was kind of following everything on the sidelines. Yeah, that trial should start soon for Ryan Duke. The Tara Grinstead case, I feel like, is a great like example of this where... There's so many people that you guys can interview. You've got a lot of things that where you can really kind of study the psychological aspect of things, the human behavior, and be able to follow those crumbs. But then you've got just hard forensic evidence sometimes. And my question is, how do you marry those two things together? Where the labs will say, this is definitive evidence, but you have interviewed people or seen the crime scene and things just don't add up from what you know and your experience with human behavior and human psychology? Well, that's a good question because depending on what type of expert you're talking to tends to say whether they work more for the prosecution or they work more for the defense. And I work more for the defense than I do prosecution. And a majority of all everything I do court-wise is for the defense. So what you're looking there, you're looking at major mistakes are made, things that's been overlooked, new stuff that could be done, that could be tested to possibly to fluff out who the real killer is rather than the defendant that you're working for. So it's a lot more challenging and really from a defense perspective, in my opinion, uh, to, to try to try to wiggle through all the, the, the paperwork and the crime scene photographs and stuff. Uh, not the case I'm working on now. It's got over 200 photographs. And, uh, you know, but basically the, uh, the scene was destroyed by arson, which which tells you that the defender was forensically aware that leaving evidence behind links them to the crime, so they burn, they burn the apartment. I cannot imagine dealing with arson. That seems like one of the most difficult things to have to navigate through case-wise. Yeah, arson it, it takes a special type of expert to come in on that, especially if you got... Um, uh, pattern burns on the walls and stuff, and you don't have any any evidence of any uh, uh, liquid combustible uh, accelerate or used. So if you don't have that, so you have to answer, how did this fire spread? Unless they use newspapers or something. I love it. That's morbid to say, but it's it's the truth. I think that's awesome. That's it's such a wonderful puzzle. To try to figure out, um, stemming from that, like, how do you choose what cases you will work on? I mean, do you go for like the more challenging ones, or? Yeah, I work mainly cold cases, and, and uh, see, I worked Tara Grinstead case twelve years. I don't think I realized that. Uh, b- before I, I, I run into before we hooked up with pain, it was about eleven or twelve years before I hooked up with pain to do the podcast because I, I had run out of options to, and the SB, I mean, the uh, GBI wasn't doing anything. Uh, they, they never held a press conference in that case, never held a press conference. So, but what the, but nowadays the number one thing consideration that I give is can, because I work with families too, families who've got a, a son, daughter, or somebody that's been, uh, death has occurred, and they think it's, they say it's suicide, but they think it's something else. 
uh, the first thing I, I I have to find out is, do they have access to the case files? Now, see, we didn't have access to the case files in terrorist case. Everything in that podcast was created by by painting myself. Can you expand on that? That how that's something I've noticed in a lot of um, true crime podcasts that I've listened to um, is whether or not people can have access to the case files. And it seems like sometimes they are released and then others are not. And a lot of these are cold cases that someone is investigating years after. So why sometimes can you have the files and why others no? Well, in in a lot of states or a lot, North Carolina, as long as a case remains open, you'll never get the files. And it's very hard, to, difficult to get the files even after it's been adjudicated and a person is sent to prison and the, the case is closed. It's very hard to get the files unless you get them from a defense attorney who worked the case. Uh, they, they would have them if, if, they, if they could give them to you. But law enforcement is not going to give up case files. They're just not going to do it. Uh, rarely does it happen. Now, it, 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 has ha- it does happen, but it, it usually comes with somebody that's more of a progressive thinker or something like being the chief, and, he, and he's willing to take that step out, out of the boundaries and stuff to let an outside person come in and review the case files. But I can tell you that's, that's not the norm. Right. It's, that's got to be such a challenge. And how do you navigate, or can you just describe to us what it's like working a case, especially one that's so highly publicized, and then the twists and turns that occur? You're dealing with the police department. There's new evidence that comes out. Things can just take like a drastic turn like they did with the Tara Grinstead case. I think we were all just shocked. Well, the big thing in the the Tara case was uh, the GBI never... um, never cleared anyone. They didn't ever come out and say, well, we think so-and-so, you know, that was close to Tara, uh, we've cleared him. They never said anything like that. And they were, they were saving face to do, to do that just just in if something would go, if the DNA got a hit and it was somebody and it was that person, they were just trying to be careful not to say somebody's cleared and then later be charged with the crime. So uh, that's the reason why they didn't ever say. But uh, but law enforcement people come out every day and and say people was being cleared, like a husband and his disappearance of his wife. They can be cleared. They can have a solid alibi. But the Tara Grinstead case is, I mean, the files are like twenty feet long. God, how do you even have time to read through all of that? Well, it's difficult. Of course, I ta- what I do when a case, I take on the case as a story, like you would sit down and talk, talk, tell somebody about it, and then it becomes in my mind. In my mind, and what I do is I just take it in as a as as me talking to you about a m- movie that I saw. That's how I remember in sequence uh, things that that were done, that was not done, that what happened. You know, like the one I'm working now is, uh, I mean, the, the apartment was completely burned and they've had some people look at it. They've had other people look at it and, and a guy's in prison for it. But they say that he's he's innocent. Somebody else must have done it. So I got the case files and I found one aspect of the a case that had never been addressed. And that was the victim being sexually posed 
although she was burnt from the thing, she was sexually opposed, posed on the edge of the bed. Okay, I treated the case as a, as a sex crime. Uh, a, a rape kit was negative. That doesn't mean that it's not a sex crime. I feel like I kind of do that myself whenever I'm thinking of something more complex. Uh, and so I, I can, um, can uh, relate to you in that sense. Cause me too. Like it may, it lets me remember a little bit easier. And I also feel like it's easier to tell somebody else in that type of way as well. Like they can understand it. And, um, you know, if I'm trying to get help with something or if I'm, I don't know, just trying to explain something complicated, um, particularly if it's like technologically related, it's kind of like breaking it down like a, a story or, you know, e- even giving an analogy, comparing it to something else, uh, to try to help them kind of piece it together a little bit more. So that's, that's really interesting. So one of the big things about my podcast is uh, empathy and kind of seeing things from another perspective hence the name of the podcast, something that I'm curious about and something I feel like our culture has shifted to really like in the last 10, 15 years with crime movies and TV shows and whether they be scripted or not is a way of seeing villains in an empathetic light as opposed to, you know, back in the day where it was just like black and white, there was a good guy and a bad guy. Have you ever had cases or a case where you've empathized or you've sympathized with the criminal that you're investigating? Absolutely. I worked for two years on the Timothy Hennis case, and that occurred here in Fayetteville in 1985. A woman and her two small children were brutally murdered here in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Hennis was arrested for it, tried and, and sent to death row in, in Raleigh, North Carolina. And, and then in 89, the case got overturned he went back to trial and was found not guilty. But, and then in 2010, new DNA supposedly linked him to the crime. So they court-martialed him on base here at Fort, at Fort Bragg. So double jeopardy doesn't apply to, to the uh, military. That's a different sovereignty. So, and, it's, and they found him guilty. And so he's been in Leavenworth, uh, Kansas, since uh, 010. And, but the work that that I did on that case, I strongly believe that he is innocent. And so that so yeah, I have um I I developed form of empathy empathy for the uh the offender. And you get a lot more cases where people get in the the innocent projects of each state has an innocent project and they uh help people and there's people getting off, you know, that's pulled twenty, thirty years in prison for murder or rape they didn't do. More people are exposed to a certain type of case because of a podcast or a website or, you know, something like that. It's a lot easier to reach a lot of people. And to hear the amount of times that someone gets wrongfully accused and to think about them spending their entire life for something that they didn't do, it just makes me really sad. Yeah, I even thought about doing a podcast about the the Hennis case. I mean, there's 100,000 pages of documents and over 1,000 crime scene photographs. So I've got the information that that I could do a podcast for. I tell you what, Will and I will absolutely be the first people signing up to listen. But typically, uh, during the whole time during the Up and Vanish podcast, I really didn't listen to podcasts at all. Uh, 
in in uh, I've not listened to any since Up and Vanished. I I don't listen to as many as I used to because of the pandemic and working from home and my commute was more of that time that I listen uh, to those types of things. But I still come across uh, the occasional one that really hooks me. And Stacia is absolutely she consumes them like food. Uh, so it's you know it's it's an interesting medium for sure. Yes. And I think that you know I've done a couple myself, and and I listen to a lot. I think there's there's things to be learned and gained from listening just as much as there are producing. So I would I would encourage you. The biggest thing that um the 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 main one of the main things that Payne did different uh. A lot of podcast people don't do. They don't uh, get out and do the shoe leather work that's required to do the. Uh, and 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 that's what Payne was taking that three hour drive to Asilla from Atlanta in Asilla doing shoe leather work and stuff, uh, talking to these people that was at that party and uh, out there in the field and stuff. Those type of things. You you just can't stay be uh, get some case files. Uh, and and yeah. stay behind the mic. You've got to go out and ask some questions. I was going to say that that was something that I found intriguing about uh, his podcast as well. I think it's uh, maybe it's just because I really got into true crime starting with that podcast, but I feel like some of my favorite ones have taken on that style where they're really getting out. They're making the long drives you know, they're going to random obscure places just because there was one little hint of something that might lead somewhere. And those are always the most interesting to me. What's the podcast where the guy was um, uh, becoming, befriending all these women and um, and he was taking them for their money and stuff? Oh, um, is that the one they made a show of too? Uh, is it Dear John? Is that right? Dirty John. Dear John. Dear John is a chick flick. <laughs> okay, now that was our number one competitor when uh, in, in 2019, Up and Vanish got the podcast award of the year. And Dirty John, biggest competitor, uh, again, I thought Dirty John would get it, but it didn't. But the movie that they did with Dirty John was pretty good. So, uh, but Dirty Dirty John was was a. I didn't listen to the podcast, but I, I looked at the show and I thought it was real good. Well, I'm sure if you're interested in listening to, uh, to more that are like that station, I can certainly recommend uh, several to you. So, <laughs> yeah, I have a long list. And speaking of of, of shows and and things like that, station, I think you had another question about um, the portrayal. Yes. So can you tell us the most, like what show is the most accurate portrayal of real life crime and, you know, case working or forensics working? I mean, I feel like any of us can watch CSI and know that that's really not how it works. You don't get a DNA turnaround like, you know, 15 minutes later. Oh, Law and Order. Oh uh, my gosh, you're speaking but, to me, um, Dr. Godwin. I love it. Okay. CSI, I've only seen it once. Uh, but, CI, but CSI doesn't ring true 
of, I mean, you don't get a flash in the pan thing and something that suddenly appears. Uh, and also you, 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 uh, you got multiple people doing, um, specific type, uh, jobs at a crime scene. Used to be that detectives are the ones that investigated the crime with collecting the data. I mean, uh, collecting the evidence and all that kind of stuff. But they got crime scene technicians now. Uh, they get them out of college and and send them off to training, and they 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 work the crime scenes. And the detective investigates the crime, but as far as collecting evidence and stuff, that's done by crime scene techs. And I mean, you get all. Uh, and they, they, two, two of my former students are in Winston Salem, and they're head of the the CSI there in Winston Salem. Oh, that's very cool. So, is there something in particular? Like, are you interested in that, like the CSI aspect of it, or more? Uh, Actually, what I'm interested in is um is looking for mistakes that are made by law that. Uh, CSI technicians and and detectives and law enforcement. That's what I look for are mistakes and and to help uh, families out. Also, defense attorneys, but mainly to help families out or looking uh, not just mistakes, but stuff that was overlooked that needs to be uh, needs to be done. For example, in the case I'm working now, where I'm suggesting that they 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 pulled uh, the evidence of the guys trousers and have uh, the swabbing of the belt and where his pockets were, where they were grabbed to pull down, have that swab for uh, touch DNA. So, you know, when we see, you know, these crime dramas on TV, Law and Order, CSI, there's, you know, a million of them, it feels like now, you see some of the drama build between, um, you know, new investigators saying that things were overlooked and they're just, you know, the old detectives on the case are insulted and drama ensues. Like, how do you handle that in real life? I mean, it seems like it's kind of touchy to have to tell somebody, hey, you didn't really do a great job. And now I'm here finding all the things that you didn't. Like, how do you navigate that? Well, there's no love lost between what I do and detect, but but I I've even had detectives following me around when I was working on a case to see what I was doing, and and uh, GBI did that for a while. And you know if they'd have concentrated more on catching the killer rather than concentrating on me, maybe they'd have done something. Mm-hmm. How often have you had? Um you know, the the police department, I don't know who it is exactly that makes these calls, but them trailing you around, kind of sneaking around what you're doing, and then making a public statement of some kind that really derails you in the progress that you're making. I feel like they would probably try to stop you a little bit along the way so that they don't have to reopen something. Not many times I've not had that happen, uh, but I, there's about three cases that I've been sitting on for the last several years uh, that I'm expecting news to break any time on a genealogy match, where the where the DNA was matched through genealogy, and and uh, 
that's how they uh, solved the Golden State serial killer. They found out uh, genealogy through his family, and uh, and so um, in in several cases I'm working now um, has has that uh, aspect in involved in it. You know, just who was the first person to say you should do genealogy work? Uh, use that route. Was it me or was it the department? So that's what I've been expecting to hear these cases break and see what they say. That kind of thing. Do you find yourself able to compartmentalize what you do at work and in your home life? And is it a struggle to keep it separate or do you feel like you are? No, I've become a master at that for a long time ago. Yeah. I'm compartmentalizing all the time. I, uh, you know, to the point that I talk, talk, talk about, you know, what, what, what is seen and what is at the crime scene, like it was just talking about uh, having lunch. And you see, some people are, could be offended by that. Uh, uh, so you, you have to watch where you talk about it at or who you tell. Do you, do you ever find yourself uh, talking like a, to your, your friends or family uh, in that type of way? Yeah, yeah, I, I do. I talk to them, uh, you know, in, in that way and stuff. But, but I do find it. Uh, I, I find more response where people find it interesting. They want to hear more. Mm-hmm. That's what I was going to ask. Is you know, is there like a standing rule? Okay, no talking about crimes at Thanksgiving this year. No questions. No talking about it. Or is everybody super interested and really into it? Oh, I love it. Can I come to Thanksgiving next year? If you go, if you go to Google, there was an art, article in the other day's paper in Wilmington, the Wilmington Star. Mm-hmm. And if you go, if you go to do a search with uh, Dr. Goblin and Jay Mintz, M-I-N-T-Z, J-A-Y-E, and look in Google, you'll find the article in the Wilmington Star. Uh, that that's that's one that I've been. I've been on for a number of years, and uh, she did a, 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 a updated article on it the other day in the Wilmington Star. The journalist did, and so you, you get you'll get a general over, overview of what I do in that in in law enforcement response in that in that article. Cool, I love it. I will be reading that later today. Why do you think people? And it's, I think it's a good question for you since you've studied so, so much behavioral psychology as it pertains to, to crime and criminals. Why do you think the general public, somebody who's never, who would never intend to commit a crime, is so fascinated with crime? Well, and as women, too. Mm-hmm. They, they're two to one more interested, and they're the ones that goes to conferences the most. We have crime com conferences mm-hmm. you, you, which y'all y'all need to attend the crime com conference absolutely it's june the 4th through the 6th in austin this year. all right well we're gonna buy our plane tickets right as soon as we uh, hop off this podcast as soon as we, uh, crime com just look okay. it up it, it's gonna be uh gonna be a lot of the people you know of uh off of the tv and, and the, the id channel and stuff a lot of those people are gonna be there 
they have a thing called Podcast Row, and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Up and Vanish will be there. And uh, I've gone every year. I'll be there speaking with a a, a girl that uh just got a, a sh- move show deal with the Oxygen Channel. Going to do it on a serial killer called the Toolbox Killers out of California. Oh my gosh, I love that story. But whoa, that is some really horrific stuff. Like, yes, yeah, pretty gruesome. So she she she'll be speaking. Um, um, we're doing a, a co-speaking thing together there. But man, if you're talking about true crime and you. You, there's two, two two days full of it in Austin this year. Awesome. I love it. I just looked it up too, Will, and it looks like you can join some of it from home. So maybe we can have a little watch party. Yeah, they they having some because of the uh, uh, virus and stuff. They're having some stuff virtual. Some of the stuff virtual from the crime conference this year. I might have to look into that. So, Doctor Godwin, I know you've been doing this for so long now. Do you ever get tired of it? Do you ever kind of lay down at night and think, okay, I've I got to start wrapping this up. I don't know how much longer I can do this. I, I get do get tired, uh, not tired of it, but just tired, which is reason that I uh, that I turn to the pod, podcast for turkey case because I run out of options. I always look, uh, I always try to look at different things in different perspectives. And so, um, but I don't get tired of it to, to quit. No, I don't, I don't get that tired of it. I love it. I love your, it's very clear talking with you that you really have just such an investment in it. And it's very admirable, especially considering, you know, as listeners, it's an entertainment of sorts. I mean, I think it's very interesting the psychological aspect of crime and that's why I find it entertaining because I like learning from these things but you know somebody that really works it I mean the mystery of it all you have a you you have a 10 year old girl step off the the school bus and 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 vanishes for life but that happens and she steps off the school bus and she disappears for life Rarely do you ever find out where they're at or what what happened, and if you, if you do, it's always bad. So, but it's that it's that intriguing part aspect of what what happened, what occurred, and all that is is the reason why people are drawn to uh, in this field, trying to answer the unknown. Yeah, I, I, that is very 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 intriguing to me with anything that I consume. You know, for entertainment mm-hmm. usually, but um, yeah, interesting. You know, in uh, a lot of the crimes, uh, women are the most victims in a lot of the crimes, and uh, but yet they're the ones that that tend to uh, gravitate toward. To uh, I mean, crime com is two to one females wow. that are going there. I mean, they got they got groups of buses that go there. Well. Thank you so much for your time and for for talking with us today. Uh, Any last thoughts or things that you always like to let people know or you wish people would know about you or crime or anything like that? 
one thing is, is I always put the victims first. I always put the victims first. And, and so, uh, that is a hallmark of, uh, what I do and who I am. It navigates you through how you approach a crime. That, that's right. Mm -hmm. And also I don't always try to get in the, the mind of a killer neither. Mm -hmm. I try to get in his shoes. With what what is called geographical profiling, mm -hmm. using geography to find out where a killer lives at, mm -hmm. based on the based on the uh, the crimes on where he commits his crimes at, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's what I'm gonna be giving talk at CrimeCom about is the geography of crime. I love that. I love how you said that. That it, you know, you don't try to get into the mind of a killer, but get in his shoes. That's a great take on it because I think it's something so many of us, you know, true crime fans don't even consider. They just like you and I. They go to the grocery store just like you do. They go shopping, the recreational uh, places just like you and I do. So how 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 do they the the way in which they abduct victims and the way in which they dump their victims' bodies and stuff. How does that relate to their environmental space, their awareness space in regards to travel? Hmm. Like rivers and cities and rural areas. Yeah, because that played a big part in the Terry Grinstead case. Where can people find you? I know you said that you're going to be speaking at CrimeCon. Are there any other places that people can follow your work or... I'll find out more about you. I know you've written several books and have, you know, different appearances on different TV shows, etc. Go to my website and read my web stuff on my website. Okay. And um, you should have put that in the show notes. Other than that, uh, just just keep up with me. Uh, shoot me an email, and and I tend to let people know what I'm doing. Okay. And and you also have Instagram and Twitter as well. Okay. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. And uh, like I said, appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Godwin. Yeah. Okay, I appreciate thank it. You, All right. Thank you, thank Have you. a great day.